This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kempf and Dr. Alistair Stark. Welcome to Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name is Al. This podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe that these moments, when we bring our classrooms to life, can often be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And that's our focus. Small things communicated in simple ways by great teachers who know these practices make a difference to their students. The idea, in a way, is that you listen to these great teachers, reflect on their practices, and think about whether it might work for your own students. And because we know our listeners are busy and time poor, we always want to communicate these small lessons in a jargon-free way, which is why we have our teaching jargon buzzer. No! which we hit when we hear those buzzwords that might be more at home in a teaching committee or a faculty meeting. Normally, Al, at this point, would kindly remind me to introduce our guest. But today, it's a bit different because we do not have a guest. Or maybe it's more correct to say that Al is our guest. Many of you had told us over the past two years that we have been doing this podcast that actually you'd also like to hear from us, from Al and from me, about what it is that we do in our classrooms rather than just interviewing other great teachers. So in a way, we've heard you. So the spotlight today is on Al, who, when he's not sitting here in the studio with me and with Anthony, is actually a and I should say recently, congratulations, newly uh, promoted associate professor in public policy at UQ. Al, welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Seb. It's nice to be here. Wonderful. I would like us to talk about one aspect in your teaching, an aspect that you call the 20-minute moments. What's that all about? This is uh, uh, exciting for me to be on this side of the desk, talking as a teacher rather than an interviewer. The 20-minute moment is a simple way that I break up the lecture experience in almost all my classrooms. And it's basically a strategy both in the class and in terms of designing a lecture where I say after 20 minutes, we're going to do something different. The University of Queensland, we are encouraged to do two-hour lecture blocks. It's unbelievable, eh? (laughs) These are exhausting for a lecturer and student. And the idea of doing a two-hour lecture is just too exhausting for me to think about. So typically I'll do 20 minutes and then we have a moment. And then I might do another 20 minutes and then have another moment. And so these moments are designed to give us all a break, freshen us up, but also open up the students to receive a message, to receive a lesson in a different way. And I think this is crucial, right, when you say like, give us all a break. It doesn't mean, all right, let's just go refill water bottles, go to the bathroom. It actually means you're breaking the lecture style, you in front of a big crowd of students, and you do a different type of activity that kind of builds on or takes it further. Give us a couple of examples. In a two-hour block, I'll maybe go for three 20-minute moments per session. And as you say, it will typically be a moment which builds on the lecture that's come before. For example, when I'm teaching Marxism, we go through some pretty intense, quite heavily theoretical uh, uh, content for 20 minutes. Then we have a moment. And the moment's quite simple. We play uh, rock, paper, scissors for lollies. In Australia, we call sweeties (laughs) lollies. So... Prior to the lecture beginning, 
everybody is given one, two, three, four or five lollies by me randomly. Some of them immediately eat the lollies, <laughs> which I allow to happen. Uh, but they're all sitting at their desks with a with a, a pile, large or small, of lollies. So then the moment arrives and I tell them, OK, start playing rock, paper, scissors to win lollies. So each person turns to someone next to them, puts a lolly down on the table, they play the game and they take uh, and accumulate other people's lollies. So I allow this to happen 10, 15 minutes. I allow the emerging oligarchs who are amassing wealth to move around the room and uh, compete and accumulate lollies. And then we pause and I explain to them that this is very much how capitalism works through a moment of chance, which is the wealth that you're given when you're born, which is me and my distribution. A moment of chance combined with a little bit of skill, but mostly luck, you will accumulate wealth. And this is capitalism. And everyone's happy at this point and the, the lolly riches are flowing. There's a lot of poor people in the room. So then we count who's got all the lollies, who's not got the lollies, and we discuss that disparity and inequality. And of course they can see that lack of equality very viscerally as people munch their lollies and other people have nothing. And at this point, the people who ate their lollies earlier <laughs> also struggle as well. And then we change it up and I ensure that we redistribute the rich people's lollies to everyone else. So we all go back to having one or two lollies each. And then that allows me to move into the second part of the lecture, which is talking about socialism, social democracy, and the state's role in distribution. And it's that moment that allows us to break up the lecture, have a reflection which is different from me simply talking at them, but also move around the room and have fun. Do you find that students get ideas about, say, Marxism? better in that way than you just telling them about it? Absolutely. So typically a 20-minute moment for me is meant to last about five minutes, but the rock-paper-scissors game lasts more like half an hour now. By the time we do it, and then I reinforce the message that underpins the moment, students now want to have a discussion about it. And so they start talking about how they won it, whether it was right to re Uh, distribute at the end, you know, whether chance was really part of the game. And that discussion is really the value. You can go a little bit deeper. It stays in their mind. I know in course evaluations weeks later, this kind of thing comes up and they, d they discuss it and comment on it. That's really wonderful and just uh, makes me want to be a student in your class and not just for the lollies. Um, you just mentioned that this particular example takes sometimes up to 20, 30 minutes. But given that you make that you make use of those 20-minute moments all along, you've got shorter ones as well, different lengths that do different things. So maybe let's, let's uh, hear a second example. What we should say is it's quite uh, challenging to do them initially. They don't always work. But over the years, if you can see value in one, they tend to develop and extend And you get better at seeing how they open up the class for that key message. So even though you might not get the perfect 20-minute moment at first, they always kind of develop. So a second one that I've used, and again, this took a long time to develop, but I thought initially this is quite good, is getting them to draw policy networks 
in the lecture room. So a policy network, uh, for all those people who aren't policy nerds, is simply a, a complex system of organisations and agencies around which policy is created. It's a metaphor for something different from traditional government. So we do a lecture on these policy networks and then we pause and I say to them, OK, we're going to draw some policy networks now. So if they have laptops in front of them, I tell them to open up either a PowerPoint or a Word document, anything they can draw on. But I prefer it if they draw by hand because those ones are much greater fun. This year we did policy networks on COVID. So I get them to put at the centre of the drawing the state government. And then I say, OK, put in the actors and agencies that respond to COVID in Queensland, here in Brisbane. And that begins us. And then I say, OK, now give me an international organisation that responds to the pandemic. That goes at the top of the sheet. And I say, and then this is the crucial bit, draw a line between these two and make it reflect the authority that exists in that relationship. If you think the authority is weak, maybe make it a broken line. If you think it's uh, complex, maybe make it a wavy line. What you do is up to you. And that's our first step. And then the next one is like, give us an organisation that is outside of government that relates to the pandemic. Typically, in this case, it would be private sector, big pharma and vaccination. Now draw the line again. And then we continue to add in organisations into the drawing, each with lines, each with indicators of authority. And we do that for about 15 minutes. We continue to go and go and go. And it's good fun because people start to get confused and copy each other and look at what everybody else is doing. And then what I do, and this 20-minute moment comes just before the break, I get all the people who have done it on computers to email me their diagram or drawing, and then I go round and collect the ones that have been drawn in the room. And then when we come back, we start to show the drawings, and that's when it becomes quite fun because people create ra random agencies and draw things in very peculiar and fun ways. But what is always in the drawings are complexity, lots of fragmentation in terms of actors and agencies, and you can show that. So by flicking through the drawings that they did on the projector, we see those factors, and then showing the ones that have been emailed to me, we see the same pattern, complexity, difference, fragmentation, and this is the lesson that we have about policy networks. But really, and then what I do is I circulate them through our uh, Blackboard, which is our online platform for courses, and show students. And then we always have a bit of an interaction <laughs> over the next few weeks about terrible drawings. It's really nice. I enjoy it. It's something different. It's a consistent message and you can do the same thing because it's one simple lesson and you always land on that lesson. But students take it in crazy ways. It seems to me that it's a very effective tool to use in your, in your lecture theatre because it really helps break the dynamic that you would normally get. It's not a monotonous, uh, you are the star on the stage com communicating in one direction, but you kind of give them a bit of a break. You, Some people would call it active learning. Oh, 
or, or other buzzwords, but it's a really great example of how you fill this with. And then I guess you pick it up from where that particular 20-minute moment leaves you. Mm. Do you find that students are more focused then once you pick it back up? Is the, is the concentration level, the intensity of what's happening in, in, in that room higher than if you just spoke for two hours? Yes, definitely. So the, the degree of glazed eyes is reduced The better the moment, the more active, the more interactive, and the more they participate, the better they are when it's time to do the actual lecture content. And what you'll find is after a good moment is the degree of interaction is much higher. And people who necessarily might not be uh, engaging in a typical lecture are now on board. You've, you know, you've learned their names, you've spoken to them, you've interacted around something flipping and, and you've, you've brought them in. And now they are owning their learning in a way that you just don't when you're spoken to. And so it breaks down the barrier between the front of the room and the, the seats. And it gets people alive and awake and participating in a way that they, they wouldn't. The, the challenge is, is to do good ones. <laughs> <laughs> and and you do lots of good ones. I know this because we tend to chat over sandwich and coffees. And I'd like to hear like a third one, just because I like them so much. Yeah, I do another one, which is a, it's a kind of pseudo magician type role without any magic, where <laughs> I'm discussing constructivism in relation to public policy, and it's a whole kind of routine. This one, what I do initially is get money off the students. Real, real money. Real money. So I always, uh, which is becoming harder and harder to find these days. It might be the case I get uh, credit cards and phones soon. But I take, typically I'll take a $10, a $20, a $50. I always like to get a $50 in the mix. So take three or four notes of different students. And then I start talking about the differences between constructed value and objective value the note itself is objective and I get everyone to shut their eyes and I say the note's still here it's still the same colour the same imagery is still on it it's an objective fact that this thing exists but what is the value in it and then we have a discussion about what you can buy for $10 what you can buy for $20 what you can buy for $50 And we have a discussion about all the values that we construct and share and put into these objective things. And that's fine. They're all happy with that. But then I try and steal the money. So without saying anything, I just put it in my pocket and walk on and just start talking. It's a different reaction in every class. Typically, you get a laugh. It's usually a, ha, 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 look at him, he's stealing the money. And that allows me to pause and say, well, why, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? So what is it that we have in common? What shared meaning do we have in common that makes you think it's funny for me to steal the money? And as we deconstruct that process, we start to say, well, you're a kind of authority figure. You're a lecturer. You shouldn't be stealing students' money. And that's a bit of a crime. <laughs> Therefore, we find it funny that you're attempting to do it. And it's all linked to our shared meanings that we've constructed in the classroom but in society generally and then we build the public policy stuff on that if we have shared meanings we have a cognitive script that we share what does that mean 
in relation to policy rules and policy processes and how they are constructed. So I get to kind of act like a magician, but there's no real magic involved. And then sometimes I give the money back. What I find really amazing is we are all here in our school teaching three courses a year. Elle does that kind, these kind of 20-minute moments for each course every week several times in a two-hour lecture. So we've just given you just three examples. I know that there's so many more. What I find really remarkable here is that you think about these. You, you, you really meaningfully integrate them here. I've got so many questions here. Maybe the, the first one is like, why are you doing these? Hmm. What's the value in learning added? Well, we always have this conversation, don't we? And I never have a proper answer to that other than... I do not want to do the two-hour lecture. And I always introduce my lectures by saying that this process, which I, years ago I was taught in terms of, and here comes the buzzer, direct learning transfer. No. Oh, that's a buzzer word. Direct learning transfer oh. is the idea that when I speak, you listen. <laughs> and I always start every lecture by saying, I know as I speak just now, Someone out here is dreaming of what they're going to have for lunch. And someone else is dreaming of when I'm going to shut up. <laughs> and someone else is dreaming of a, a million different random thoughts. And there's a tiny percentage of you actually hanging on my words. And if we start from that position and say the clock is ticking for me, I need to get the key point out in 20 minutes so that the number of people who are thinking about the lunch doesn't you know, increase And I always introduce the lecture like that and say, that's why you're going to get 20 minutes. So be fully on point, be concentrating, get your note taking done, get your questions ready, because that 20 minutes is short and sharp. And then we're going to pivot and we'll pivot away, but we'll pivot away in, 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 a, in a manner which get, gives you another type of lesson. What I have realised over the years as students, when you meet them later on, they say, ah, oh, I remember you made a stand in one leg and I remember we got to play rock, paper, scissors, stone. And what's really satisfying is saying, do you remember why? And typically they remember those things. And then I'll say, do you remember the lecture? Of course they don't. They don't remember the lecture that evening. They remember those moments. So what I try and do is say, can I build a lecture with 20-minute moments? And I'm always listening and looking to steal 20-minute moments. I stole one from Linda Shevelar, who was here. I'll steal them from you. I'll steal them from anywhere I can get when I know they work, because I think students appreciate them. I mean, this is the, the thing I find fascinating. You know, I listen to them and think, oh, I should be doing this. That makes so much sense. But I find it hard to think of ideas, right? So it would be nice to visit your brain and see where you find them. And you just said like, oh, you kind of, you're tuned in to what others are doing and think if you can adjust, adapt, steal some of those. Did you yourself expose to those uh, to a teacher who who'd been doing that sort of stuff? Is that where it's coming from? No, is the answer. And I think that's probably why I do it. I sat through many two-hour lectures, actually, which basically for the student was an experience of intense note-taking. I always remember we had lecturers at this point who still smoked 
I can remember one lecturer, you knew the lecture started because he hung up his jacket and lit a cigarette and started talking. And he stopped talking two hours later, and your job as a student was just to furiously take notes because there was no PowerPoint, there were no recorded lecture. And that was the experience, like hand cramp and cigarette smoke and just one-way communication. And the amount of times I daydreamed about my lunch (laughs) and getting out of those rooms and freedom during those lectures may be a factor uh, as to why I do it now. Maybe as a as a final question here is that for people who, like me, might be feeling, hey, this is something maybe I could think of myself, how much trial and error is involved in, in refining those and, and how courageous do you need to be? I think you need to be courageous, but not overly so. If you think about a 20-minute moment in terms of a three to five-minute switch, and just do it in a in a small way. It could be something simple, like, you know, using Mentimeter to have an online question. So here's an online question, and then you refine the question, and you refine the way you discuss it, and the, you refine the way you teach it. And then once you're really confident about the question you ask and the discussion and the lesson you do in that three to five minutes, change it up again. And, you know, use Linda Chevalier's method. Well, rather than use Mentimeter and an online question, we're going to do some physical work and you guys are going to come down to the front and we'll put you in a Leichhardt scale where you move around. So little increments of bravery where you find something that works and you think, well, how can I just take that to the next step, the next step, to the point where half an hour's gone and you're all having fun. Be brave, but not necessarily dramatic be brave in just trying it out and then allowing yourself, giving yourself time over a number of years even to refine, Mm. maybe replace, test out something new. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, If you have ever had a doubt about Al's capacity as a teacher, I mean, you've been exposed to him as someone who is the interviewer in our podcast, but I've certainly, for all my years that we've been colleagues, really been appreciative of our coffee and sandwich chats because I know exactly that when I come to him and say, I want to try something new, he throws these amazing ideas at me. So it's, I think, only fair and overdue that we share some of the awesome teaching Al's been doing. So thank you so much for tuning in. We've been looking forward to having your company again. 